So let's turn to Genesis 1, uh, 31, and we're going to read up until chapter 2, verse 3, and then we'll jump over to Hebrews. Genesis 1, 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Uh, now we're going to jump over to Hebrews chapter 4. And we're going to read up to verse 13. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you to be found to be, have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For, somewhere, he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest... And since those who had formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Chris. Uh, let's take a moment to pray as we come to God's word. Loving God, thank you that you offer rest. Thank you that uh, in Christ you speak words of hope and peace to us. Give us open hearts that we might trust your words this morning. Amen. We have an older Italian neighbour next door. She loves to stop for a chat as we're coming or going or even to give us a rosebud sometimes. Um, she's very sweet. Uh, I've recently noticed that she doesn't seek to engage me in conversation nearly as much as she used to. Uh, it used to be a five or ten minute chat 
uh, if she was in the front garden on the way in the front door or out the front door. But now she hardly says hello. And, and I think, if I'm honest, uh, the reason for this is because she's noticed that I often don't give her more than a quick hi and bye. I give the impression that I don't have time to talk. Uh, I'm just too busy. I need to keep going. That, that's how it feels. I don't know if you feel this way too. Uh, if someone asks you how you're going, uh, do you like me? Say, yeah, good, busy. Maybe work is a big factor in that. Does your job just expect long hours? It's, it's in the culture, you can't change it. And if you're not okay with it, well, you can always find another job. Uh, maybe looking after kids is a big part of it too, the, the constant demand on your time and energy and attention. Our technology, I think, also rushes us. Having a computer in your pocket is great for flexibility, but when you can work from anywhere, well, it's that much harder to say no and truly have a break, isn't it? Our tech lets us do things faster. Uh, so expectations get ratcheted up. If it can be done faster, well, it should be done faster. We just assume that that should happen, and so our tired bodies are running to keep up. Add to this the economic pressures from inflation and house prices. Many people feel we have no option but to keep running ourselves into the ground. The busier we get, the tireder we become. Our screens and our stresses keep us awake at night. So we drink our coffee to keep us going or our tea if that's your caffeine of choice. But if you're anything like me, uh, some days you just wake up just as tired as you were when you went to bed. It's this vicious cycle of exhaustion. It's the dark side of our quest for more speed and hustle and productivity. And why is it so difficult to slow down and rest? There, there are definitely some systemic factors, some issues out there in, in the workplace, in society, in our culture that impact us. And these things are beyond any one person's power to change. But I wonder if there are also attitudes that we've imbibed, postures of our heart that make it impossible for us to rest, even when we do have the time and the space. Last week, as Ali preached on Hebrews 3, we met the wilderness generation, a Hebrew people that Moses led out of slavery in Egypt. God rescued them explicitly to give them rest from the relentless demands of their slave labour. He promised them a place of rich abundance, a place of safety from their enemies and rest from overwork, the land flowing with milk and honey. But they never made it. What happened? Exodus tells us they didn't trust God's promise. They didn't think God could deliver on it. And they thought, actually, maybe slavery wasn't so bad. Maybe we should go back to Egypt and the forced labour and the slave masters and the demands to produce more and more bricks with less and less raw materials. Maybe that wasn't so bad after all. They didn't trust what God was offering. Psalm 95, which our author quotes in verse 7 of our Hebrews passage, tells us they hardened their hearts against God. Later in the psalm, we're told that their hearts went astray because they didn't know 
God's ways. They didn't know what he's like. They didn't know the kind of things he does. They didn't know him. And so they didn't trust him. This is the the fundamental problem. If you don't know God, if you don't know his ways and what he's like, then when he offers you rest, how will you trust him? Maybe some of us today are, are asking that question. If I don't know God, how can I trust him? And we see from the wilderness generation that fear and lack of faith make it impossible for you to accept and to enter that rest. God's, calls might, God's call and, and offer might instead look like rules and law and, and obedience, more hard work, and so we turn away. But if we harden our hearts like this, as the wilderness generation found, if we refuse to get to know him and we don't trust his generosity... Angers God. For the wilderness generation, it meant never being able to enter God's rest. They died in the wilderness and only their children went into the land that God had promised them. So the, the stakes are high. If you're offered a generous gift that you want and you need, but then you reject it, you harden your heart against the one who offered you exactly what you want and you need. That's not a great idea, is it? So let's have a look at our passage. What is God's rest? What difference does it make now? Uh, and how do we enter God's rest? What, what is God's rest? What difference does it make? How do we enter it? Uh, firstly, what is God's rest? Um, just before we jump into this, let's, let me just point out a couple of things that's not God's rest is not simply escape. I've noticed uh, lots of advertising over the last year for cruise ships. Uh, maybe you have too. Coming out of uh, lockdowns, nobody's keener to reboot their reputation than the, the cruise line companies. Uh, their pitch is all about escaping. Come and escape. Leave your worries behind. Join us in luxury on the high seas. We'll see the Caribbean or the South Pacific, right? Not a care in the world. They offer escape as a form of rest. It's a bit like getting a massage for 15 minutes of blissful escape or uh, a Netflix binge for 15 hours of blissful escape. <laughs> we, we leave behind our usual responsibilities and demands, Right? But this is not the kind of rest that God offers because uh, the escape kind of rest is inherently temporary, isn't it? You you can't escape forever. It's no longer an escape. And what about those you leave behind? If you care for children or elderly parents or grandparents, you you can't escape. The religious version of this kind of rest is, is Buddhism which advocates nirvana through escaping our attachments and desires of the body. Escape and indulgence are are okay for a time. It can be important even, but it's not a sustainable form of rest. It's not God's rest. But then nor can we just deny our need for rest. Some of us 
maybe do this, try to ignore our need for rest. We tell ourselves that, that just over the next hill, over the next, when I get the next uh, promotion, then I'll slow down. The next, uh, when I've earned a bit more perhaps, or, or reach the next goal, close the next deal, right? That's when, just over that next horizon, it'll be time for rest. But that horizon just keeps receding from view as fast as we can chase it. Again, there's a religious version of this. Uh, we do more and more service and good works, uh, more prayers, more obedience, constantly tr- striving to achieve some divine rest that keeps disappearing into the clouds. That's not the kind of pie-in-the-sky rest that God is talking about here either. So what is God's rest? Well, the clues in the name. It's His rest. God's rest is with God. It's fundamentally relational. It's about being with God, enjoying His presence, finding our ultimate joy and satisfaction in Him. As the ancient theologian Augustine said, our hearts are restless till we find our rest in you, God. Now you can see why it's such a problem that the wilderness generation didn't know God and His ways. Why it's also such a problem for us. If we don't know God, how can we rest with Him? How can we enter His rest? We need a restored and and reconciled and peaceful relationship with God if we're going to enjoy true rest. Because God's rest is fundamentally relational. In fact, it could be no other way when we think about it. If God is the source of all goodness, the the source of life, the source of everything we need, the the sun, uh, our food, our friends and family, every good thing that sustains us, if God is the source of that, then how could we ever have rest outside of Him? True rest. Because we'd always be fearful, worried that we won't have enough, that we might miss out, that we're not good enough. But if we rest in Him, if we enter His rest, we don't need to fear. Uh, This morning, I very happily ate the last couple of wheat bix left in the box uh, at home for breakfast. And I can very happily eat the last wheat bix uh, and I can finish the milk in the bottle as well because I know that there is a supermarket five minutes away. Right? These are not the last wheat bix that I'm going to see at our house. There is more than enough of everything I need five minutes away. But if I was stranded on a remote desert island, I would feel very differently about finishing the last wheat bix in the box, wouldn't I? God's generosity to us, His abundance, actually overcome our fear of lack, our fear of poverty, our fear of want. Only in Him can we have true rest. This is uh, one of the differences that God's rest makes now. God's rest sets us free from fear, even though we haven't fully uh, entered it yet. Knowing that we're headed for God's rest, knowing that we're living in relationship with Him even now, in relationship with the source of everything abundantly good. It changes our lives now. This is the difference it makes now. Knowing that we're destined for rest with God frees us from fear of poverty like we've seen. 
Uh, we're on, on point one, on point two, yeah, thank you. Um, it frees us from that fear of poverty, uh, but it also frees us from fear of slavery and from fear of rejection. Uh, it's these three fears uh, that I want to take a moment or two to look at because they often sit behind our inability to rest, I think. God's rest frees us from the fear of slavery because his rest is perfect freedom. When God finished creating the heavens and the earth, Vaughan, we'll go on to the next one, actually. We've, yep, fear of slavery, thank you. God's rest frees us from, uh, from the fear of slavery because his rest is perfect freedom. When God finished creating the heavens and the earth, as we heard from Chris in Genesis, he looked at all that he'd made and he declared it not just good as every part had been, but very good. God created something wonderful. And then he stopped and he rested. He didn't set smart goals for it, right? He didn't drive it for productivity targets or evaluate its outputs. He rested. And he blessed the seventh day to be a day of rest. God built rest into his world. He built rest into you and me. Needing to rest is not sinful. Needing to rest is human. It's, it's creaturely. It's what we need to do because we're creatures. If even our God himself sees the goodness of rest, surely we can too. God rests and he blesses us with rest too. So we need not fear that trusting him will lead to slavery. Because God values rest. He gives it generously. He built it in from the very beginning. And this is not rest as escape. God doesn't leave his creation behind and just ignore it for a while while he has his day seven siesta. No, he keeps upholding it and sustaining it. But he rests from creating. He, he doesn't seek to constantly do more. He rests. So that means he's the one master who won't enslave you. Trusting God and his rest frees us from the fear of slavery and relentless toil. And then thirdly, God's rest frees us from fear of rejection. Because rest with God includes as its centre being welcomed into his family. A couple of weeks ago we heard how Jesus is not ashamed to call everyone who trusts in him his brothers and sisters. Just think about that for a moment. The, the glorious son, we heard so much about how transcendently wonderful he is in the first couple of uh, chapters. The glorious son who reigns over the whole universe welcomes you as his sister and his brother. You're a treasured part of his family. There's a seat at his table for you. You're accepted and welcomed. Your sins and shame and mistakes are forgiven and washed away. No matter what anyone else might say, you are welcome. Verse 13 in our passage from Hebrews uh, looks confronting. But it's actually really good news on this note. 
It says that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. It sounds scary. If you're trying to hide from God and you're not on good terms with him, if you're trying to fool him or deceive him, exploit his rest for your own ends, it's bad news. He knows, he sees. But this is also wonderful news if you are genuinely trusting God for rest. Because it means that your acceptance, your welcome is not based on a lie. It means God knows the true you. He's not accepting you based on some mask or facade or image you can project. God knows the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Whatever skeletons might be in your closet, he cannot be surprised. His acceptance is based on knowing the true you. If you've made peace with him through trusting Jesus for forgiveness of all your sins, there's no reason to fear rejection because God sees, he knows, and his son says, welcome, sister, welcome, brother, enter my rest. So how do we enter God's rest? And really, this is the key message of the whole passage Everything else is kind of background. Verse 1 says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Again in verse 11, Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So how do we enter that rest? Well, verse 2 has a, a negative example of how not to enter God's rest, and verse 3 has the positive. Verse 2, For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. It's a negative example. Verse 3, Now we who have believed enter that rest. This is a compare and contrast question, like when you're writing an essay in English at school, remember? Yep. Compare and contrast, compare the two, compare the market, if that's a, uh, those are the ads you watch. Uh, both have good news. Both have had the good news, the, the gospel promise of God's rest proclaimed to them. But for them, that, that's the wilderness generation, for them it was no good because they didn't respond with faith and obey the call. On the other hand, by, by contrast, we who have believed who do trust the gospel of Christ, we enter that rest. So this is how you enter God's rest. You trust his word about his son. You trust his promise to give you rest. Don't harden your hearts against him. Don't let your heart go astray, but listen to God's word. That's how you can get to know him. Learn about him, learn his ways. In a, in a posture of trust, not a posture of, of hardness of heart and, and opposition or distrust. And this is important because we're told that God's word is alive and active. Down in verse 12, it, it cuts to the heart. 
And again, that's good news if you're trusting God to do heart surgery on you. That's bad news if you're resisting his sharp word and fighting against it. No amount of hardening your heart will insulate you against his word, this, this sword, as it's compared here, or against the God to whom all must give account. So friends, if you want to enter God's rest eternally and uh, experience just a, a taste of God's joy and freedom now, it starts with trusting God's word and being reconciled to him as we do that. Jesus himself said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus offers true rest. He offers to take our heavy burdens, our sin and shame, our regrets, but, but more than that, our, he takes away all the ways we've hardened our hearts against God. He takes away all the ways we've rejected God's generous rest. He takes away all the ways we've tried to play God ourselves by overworking, failing to trust him. He says, come to me, bring your burdens and swap them for his light and easy yoke. We take Jesus' light and restful yoke. He takes our burden of sin and shame and he carries it to the cross. And he puts to death everything that stands between us and God. And in doing so, he puts to death everything that would stop us from resting. Everything that would enslave us. Everything that would drive us to work relentlessly. So will we trust him? Will we persevere in trusting him together? Will we encourage one another to make every effort, not, not every effort to work hard, but every effort to trust, to, to depend, to rely solely on Christ for our rest, to, to say no when we need to. And then just maybe, whether you've been Christian for lots of years or just a few moments, we'll find ourselves a little more free from fear a little more free from distrust, free to say no and to rest, to enjoy our generous and our gracious God. Let's pray and thank him for this wonderful offer of rest. Gracious God, we thank you for your generosity in giving us rest, calling us, inviting us. Thank you for building that rest into creation. Thank you for giving rest from all that burdens us. Please help us to trust you. For those of us who feel we need to know you better to trust you, please reveal more of yourself to us. For those of us resisting trusting you in this area because of our fear or our pride, help us to lay down our own efforts to receive your generous offer of rest both eternally and to live in light of that reality now.
Thank you that Jesus generously bore all our burdens, that we might share his rest. Amen.